Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 9, please. I think there's some noise outside, but it's not in here. Proverbs chapter 19. In case you guys didn't know, it's Noel's birthday. Wish her a happy birthday. That was pathetic. If you want to clap. <laughs> Noel, if you don't know who she is, she's the drummer. Noel, how old are you? 20, 25? 24? Oh, women aren't supposed to tell their age, sorry. I was going low. I actually know how old you are. Some advice, guys. If you're ever trying to guess a woman's age, always go low. Um, remember, next week is our 12th anniversary where we will combine all three services. And we will have our service from about 10 to 12.30 and one service where we all, like I said, from three services join together and we'll be having lunch. So, like I say often, if you don't like the word of God, just come for lunch in the back of the line. Um, what is that? Is that outside, Preston? Is that from outside? What is it, an exhauster? Where's the exhauster? The petrol station? Oh, it's not on our property, though. I don't know why they call them honeysuckers in the States. It's not honey. Proverbs chapter 9, wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her meat. She has mixed her wine. She has also furnished her table. She has sent out her maidens. She cries out from the highest places of the city. Whoever is simple, let him turn in her. And for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, come eat of my bread and drink of my wine that I have mixed. Forsake foolishness and live and go in the way of understanding. He who corrects a scoffer gets shame for himself and he who rebukes a wicked man only harms himself. Do not correct a scoffer lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will still be wiser. Teach a just man and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me you, your days will be multiplied and years of life will be added to you. If you are wise, you will be wise for yourself and if you scoff, you will bear it alone. A foolish woman is clamorous. She is simple and knows nothing. For she sits at the door of her house on a seat by the highest places of the city to call to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn to her. And as for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, 
Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of hell. Lord, we pray that you'd give us understanding of your word, that we would have the ability by the power of your spirit to apply it, to ensure that we glorify you as we do apply wisdom. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Wisdom has built her house, she has hewn out her seven pillars, she has slaughtered her meat, she has mixed her wine, she has furnished her table, she sent out for her maidens and cries out from the highest places of the city. So once again, as we return to our study in Proverbs after a seven month break, most of you are the same people here anyway, so that's okay. Um, we're going to continue to talk about these major subjects that Solomon talks about. Subjects about wisdom, applying wisdom, uh, the subject of going uh, into women that don't belong to you, and what wise people do, what wise people don't do. So the, the reoccurring things, you know, that are really um, very close to our lives, but at the same time, obviously Solomon has a lot to say about them, not just because he's wise in his application, but in his great intellectual wisdom, he actually has suffered by not applying the wisdom that he had mentally. That is something you gotta be aware of. You can know the truth, you can know wisdom, but wisdom that is not applied is no good to us. Wisdom that's not applied does nothing for us. We can know the truth about not being bitter and yet become very bitter. The idea that um, is kind of kind of be brought up here in verses four is whoever is simple and whoever lacks understanding turn to wisdom. He who lacks understanding, she says to him. So none of us go about our day beginning with the notion that we are simple-minded and lack understanding. That's not how we begin our day, especially for men. We begin our day usually as who is going to receive from how brilliant I am. That's kind of how we start our day. And women are no exception. In their own way, they do the same thing. We're, in other words, we are a very mentally handicapped people. We talk about mental handicaps. Um, we use that usually in reference to either people who are insane or somebody who has um, what we would call a literal mental handicap. Uh, the, the word used to be retarded. That word's now not politically correct. So we use the word slow which I think is more offensive, um, or on the spectrum, whatever you want to call it, that's how we define people who don't act normal uh, as the brain functions are, are there. But C.S. Lewis is, he's, I'm, I'm forgetting, but in one of his books, 
he talks about how mentally handicapped people are more sane than what appears to be mental sanity. Because mentally handicapped people tend, uh, he, he wrote a lot about it, but they tend to be their absolute self. They can be no one else. They are slow, however it is that they operate. Usually we can tell with the way they speak, um, the intonations of their voice, you know, and I'm not trying to be funny, but you know, they tend to type. Um, they can't be anybody else than what they are. And we call them mentally handicapped when in fact people who seem to be of sound mind pretend to be something that they're not. C.S. Lewis would talk about this. It's very interesting. For an, for an example, if you've ever been into a, obviously you have, if you, unless you're homeschooled your whole life, to a high school where we will tend to be, we're, we're hypocrites, we're putting on masks and we're, we become actors. We really, um, you know, didn't come out of the womb wearing pants below our butts, talking all cool, like, oh, what's up, dog, how you doing, you know, or however it is that, you know, that's what people talked like when I was growing up in high school. I don't know what you Kenyans in high school talk about. Uh, you know, you, you, you put on somebody, that's not your voice. That's not what you would generally say. Those are adopted, learned behaviors, usually based on what we think is awesome or cool or our peers or stuff like that. In other words, we are not being who God made us to be. We're putting on a face, which makes us more mentally handicapped than people who actually have apparent mental handicaps. You know, just skipping down, we'll go back up, but whoever is simple, who lacks understanding, we need to come to the realization, which synonymous terms of what I'm getting to is humility, understanding we lack wisdom. It takes a humble man who understands he's simple-minded. The greatest geniuses who've ever lived need to understand they're simple-minded. That they don't receive wisdom internally and subjectively and intuitively. They receive wisdom from God. It's the only way they can get it. So the greatest geniuses, especially the Christian Isaac Newton, who probably is arguably one of the top 50 smartest people who've ever walked the face of the earth, you know, when he was dying, he said, I've, I've barely learned anything. You know, there's a, a, a sea, he said the words, a seashore of knowledge um, that I have barely walked on and then an ocean of knowledge that I've not even dipped my toe into. And that's what Isaac Newton said. So it's okay to want to share with people what we've learned as long as what we've learned is true. But we need to approach life with, I lack understanding. I lack wisdom. Uh, we were having a pastor's meeting recently before I left where all the pastors from Calvary Chapel Bangor that have left the church and started their own churches were gathering with their wives and, 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 and you know, Pastor Ken called on me like once again first and 
He said, just share what's going, what's, you know, the worst thing that's happened this year and the best thing. And I kind of looked down. I didn't know what to say. Yeah, I was waiting for everybody else to be called on first so I could come up with something to say. And I'm just like, I don't know. He goes, well, we'll pray for wisdom for you. <laughs> that's what he said. He made a joke at my expense, in other words. But the, um, the truth is that we seem to leak wisdom as we sleep and understanding. The law of use would dictate that it's not that you went four years of great Bible study. It's that we meditate on the word of God day and night our entire lives so that we can be useful as people. We need to approach life understanding that we are very simple-minded and that we lack understanding. And if you do that, you can gain wisdom. If you don't, you won't. Uh, you, can't, you can't tell anything to somebody who knows everything. There's a, a song that I really like. It's called Where Corn Don't Grow by Travis Tritt. Love that song. This guy, uh, he's 17 years old. He's sitting on the front porch with his, fa with his dad. And his dad's been a farmer his whole life, growing corn. And he says to his dad, hey dad, didn't you ever have a dream where corn don't grow? And his dad looked down at his coffee cup with a storm of mixed emotion in his eyes. He was upset. He's, his son basically just dissed everything he's been doing his whole life. And his, his, um, his father says, in the chorus of the song, hard times are real. There's dusty fields no matter where you go. And uh, you may find, um, I'm forgetting, you may find. Anyways, the line of the song I want to share with you is the second verse where Travis Tritt left home, he's off in the big city, and he says, I knew more at the age of 17 than I know now, when he was an older guy. Isn't that true, 17-year-old people who've been there, you've been there? You know more when you were 17 than you know now. You, you tend to learn, especially as you look at God, as years go by, how much you don't know if you truly have an honest look at yourself. When we started the church, when I started the church in 2010, it was so much different at times. You can get um, a lot of Calvary Chapel people looking for Calvary Chapel people, looking for those churches when they uh, move somewhere and they go to that, so that they're Calvary Chapel people, is a lot of the people you get when you start a Calvary Chapel in the United States. Not all the time, but that's a lot of what happens that there was no Calvary Chapel people in Eldoret. None. So we started the church. And then I got Baptists. I got Pentecostals. I got Word of Faithers. I got Reformed. I got the Frozen Chosen and the Crazy Chicken Headed running around the church. All, I got them all. And when I started the church, everybody wanted to let me know how to run the church. Hey, why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? Why don't we do this? Why aren't you doing this? As you can imagine, I got tired of it quickly. So I started telling people, consider the possibility you're wrong about how church should be run. 
And if they pressed me even further, I would say, why did you ever leave the church that you're telling us we should be like? Anyways. It is so important that we approach life understanding that we need daily wisdom from God. And that comes with a boatload. It comes with a lot. But it comes with a foundation of humility. Let me put it to you in another way. We are mentally handicapped if you didn't catch that at the beginning of the sermon. Every one of us. If you were to tell me by what percentage are you deceived, Josh, when, you, when it comes to understanding the things of God, I would tell you 99% because that's the right answer, even if it sounds bad coming out of my mouth. Every one of us have a level of deception that we need to try to decrease as much as possible and that only comes through an encounter daily with God. That's how messed up we are. So I find it very sarcastic when Solomon's saying, oh, if you're simple, if you lack understanding, you can come here to get some wisdom. Every single person on the planet who's ever lived lacks understanding and needs wisdom. The idea is, can you acknowledge it? That's the idea of what's going on. It's the same thing that Jesus Christ would do, our Lord, when he talked about needing a physician. The Pharisees come to him and they say, why are you eating with tax collectors, publicans, and sinners? And Jesus Christ... He said, well, the, the healthy don't need a physician. I come for the sick. The righteous don't need me, but I've come for the unrighteous. And he kind of left it alone. Now, he didn't leave it alone in every conversation that he ever had with the Pharisees because he would call them wicked men. But at that particular time, he is applying what's being talked about here in Proverbs 9 with, I've already rebuked you. I've already, admo- already admonished you two or three times, which the Apostle Paul told Timothy, that young pastor, admonish somebody two at max three times and then leave them alone. So what Jesus Christ and what Solomon is doing here in Proverbs 9 is don't answer a fool according to their folly. So Jesus Christ is saying, ah, if you're righteous, you don't need me. Well, Jesus Christ knows very well there are none who are righteous. No, not one. The idea is when you acknowledge your unrighteousness, then you will seek for righteousness and you will be filled because you will seek after Jesus Christ because he's the only righteous one. You can have wisdom. Just don't worry about that. It's a very large rat up there. No, I'm kidding. It's a plumber. He's fixing pipes. He, we lack it, but only those people, or wisdom is available, only those people who want it will get it. And the way to get it is to acknowledge you don't have it. Very important. So wisdom is built her house, she's hewn out her seven pillars. 
Medieval theologians believe this is uh, talking about things that have to do with New Testament doctrine. Um, Built her house uh, is building the church, the holy humanity of Jesus Christ or the body of Christ. Uh, The seven pillars are the whole council of the apostles. Uh, The, you know, slaughtered her meat is the sacrifice of Christ on the cross being slaughtered. Mixed her wine and the bread that are mentioned here in a couple separate verses is Holy Communion. Um, Really, it's a stretch, I think. Uh, These are medieval theologians. However... Um, it is interesting that in Matthew chapter 16 if you're not really keen on studying and meditating on the New Testament you could miss a it's not as indirect as Proverbs 9 would be if Proverbs 9 is actually talking about the church uh, being built up with pillars, one of the reasons some of these medieval theologians and some of the modern day theologians would agree with them is because the word pillar in Galatians chapter 2 verse 9 is making reference to some of the pastors, the apostles of the early church um, and the, we stand on the pillars of ecclesiology, which is the study of the church, New Testament doctrines being referred to. So they were trying to make that leap here in reference to this building that wisdom is building. Um, it doesn't have to connect. It, it, it's speculative. However, it would be wrong and unwise to think wisdom is not applied in connecting New Testament doctrine as it refers to forming your ecclesiology, forming your understanding of the church. What is a church? What is the worldwide church of Jesus Christ? Uh, that's described, the New Testament would call that the body of Jesus Christ. What is the local church, which the New Testament speaks more about, actually, than the worldwide church of Christ um, in, in, in its details. So it's, it's something that we got to be passionate about. I don't know if I read to you that uh, ridiculous song. Did I read to you guys the lyrics of the song That's My Church here at, here at Calvary Eldoret? I didn't. Kelsey, my phone is on my desk. Would you bring it to me? Or somebody? Thanks, Peter. Apostle Peter. So in Matthew 16, there is a connection that's vitally important in reference to the church. I want to take this time to briefly discuss it. But when you look at it, the subject is the church. It's the first mention of the church. Jesus Christ says to his disciples, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? And some say Elijah, and some say Jeremiah, and some say uh, um, one of the prophets or John the Baptist, but Jesus Christ, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. 
Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in, in heaven. Um, and... I'll give you the keys to the kingdom. That's the one I skipped. I'll give you the keys to the kingdom, Peter. And so here we get some things that could be confusing. Um, excuse me. I want to share this with you guys in case you don't know it, which you, most of you probably don't know it. So there are two things that could be confusing here. You could say, okay, he's talking about the church. That's evident. We all agree on that. What does it mean that Peter received the keys to the kingdom? And what in the world is it talking about binding and loosing in reference? Now, if you grew up in a improper Kenyan church, which there are numerous of them, um, they would tell you that binding and loosing has everything to do with having the power as a Christian to bind and loose the blessings of God and specifically the mention would be uh, money and, and health uh, is, is generally. So whatever you bind on earth, if you bind riches for yourself will be loose. The, the floodgates of heaven will open up and it will pour out on you and and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed from heaven. So if you have sicknesses, you release them from your body. You loose them from yourself. And the power of heaven will come down and loose it from you. And um, About the most ridiculous, unbiblical thing in reference to that. You know, I don't, maybe... Maybe Peter has even shared his testimony with you with his parents, unfortunately, uh, dying because they would not go to the hospital because of such held beliefs. And uh, very painful doctrines, very painful. This one American singer, she wrote a song called My Church. Oh, let's see what she thinks a church is. I cussed on a Sunday, I cheated and I lied, I'd fallen down from grace a few too many times. But I find holy redemption when I put my car in drive, roll down the windows and turn up the dial. Can I get a holiday? Well, let me not share the chorus. The second verse is when Hank brings the sermon, that's Hank Williams in case you don't know. He was a country singer. When Cash leads the choir, Johnny Cash, it gets my cold heart burning hotter than a ring of fire. When the world gets heavy and I need to find an escape, I just keep the wheels rolling, radio scrolling till my sins are washed away. The chorus says, can I get a hallelujah? Can I get an amen? Feels like a Holy Ghost running through you when I play the highway FM. I find my soul revival singing every single verse Yes, I guess that's my church. So this woman's church is the radio, singing music as she drives down the street. 
that is one of the most convoluted heretical views of what church is that I've ever heard. And yet, you would think as nonsensical as this is, you've got to understand that many, millions of people around the world, they have no idea what church is, even, even people who go to church regularly, they don't know what it is. They don't know what the New Testament teaches in reference to what the church is. They say, oh, I don't, I don't like church, or my church is the, the bar, my church is my work. You, you hear people saying these things. Well, Peter receives the keys of the kingdom, and, and I really don't want to go through all of it, but I'll go through it quickly, just for information's sake, without necessarily preaching. And, and that is, God is shutting the door to the prophet's ministry right here at, at, at the end of John the Baptist's life. In Matthew 13, I believe it is, um, John the Baptist is in prison. He's very upset with Jesus Christ. He knows exactly who he is. He's the one who introduced him to the world. And John the Baptist, probably to a, to a certain extent, but not to the extent, I think, personally, of what is a common belief amongst everyone, and that's the Messiah is just to deliver Israel um, judicially and governmentally. You know, Let's become a nation again, and let's throw off the burdens of Rome or whatever nation has taken over. That's what they believe the Messiah was. To a certain degree, it would seem evident that that's also what John the Baptist believed. Because when he was in prison obviously struggling deeply after having that incredibly powerful ministry and preaching ministry on the Jordan River, he sent his people to Jesus Christ and told them, are you the one or do we look for another? This is not a legitimate question. He's not asking Jesus if he mistakenly mistook Jesus Christ for the Messiah. He knows who Jesus Christ is. He's saying, Jesus, you're not doing your job. I thought the Messiah was supposed to be someone else. Is there another person who's the Messiah who's going to do your job? I believe that's what John the Baptist is doing. And I believe it's evident because Jesus Christ would say to John the Baptist, um, blessed is he who's not offended with me. He's offended with him. Jesus Christ, our Lord, knows exactly what's going on. But Jesus Christ would say that John the Baptist is the greatest person born amongst women, but, he, but the least in the kingdom is the greatest. Um, but, but the least of these is the greatest. The idea of what's going on is Jesus Christ, with John the Baptist, he's calling him the greatest prophet who's ever lived. And yet he's giving no prophecies. And these prophets in the Old Testament, they have, in many cases, received the supernatural power from God to perform miracles. Especially Elijah, Elisha. Even the prophets uh, like Moses, who was a prophet to the nation, not just the leader. 
would prophesy, even kings. And so God would use these men that he chose, these prophets and kings who had a prophetic ministry to give the revelations of God to the world or to the nation of Israel than a nation of Israel could give them to the world. And God is ending that with John the Baptist. And the idea is John the Baptist is the greatest born amongst women, but the least in the kingdom is the greatest. The idea is we're least than John the Baptist. We're less than him. So we can be as great as him in the sense that John the Baptist, he's not the greatest because he had the greatest supernatural power or, um, that the, more than the other prophets when many of the prophets were performing miracles, even raising the dead. The idea is John the Baptist, not in character, is the greatest prophet, but in mission is the greatest prophet. That's why he's the greatest. He had received the greatest mission that any prophet had ever received in the history of prophets. And that mission is to introduce Jesus Christ to the world. But the least amongst them is greater than John the Baptist. The idea is he's giving the mission to everyone. So we're as great as John the Baptist and we are as, and we're greater than the Old Testament prophets. We're greater because we have a greater mission, not that we are personally greater in character and in righteousness and in holiness. Do you guys get what I'm saying? That's pretty simple, right? Here's the idea. If you were to go back and ask an Old Testament prophet, would you rather prophesy about Jesus Christ? Or would you rather meet him and introduce him to the world? The prophets longed to see the fulfillment of what God had revealed to them. And we have seen the fulfillment. They would rather be us, I guarantee it. They'd rather be us. And he is shutting the door. There's no longer God giving the revelation of his spoken word to a certain group of individuals. The revelation of his spoken word is given to all of his people. And the door is being closed with how God is now revealing himself to the world. And, the, and, and you guys know the, the, the old saying, when God shuts one door, he does what? You guys are just whispering. I can't hear you. I'm sure you said it. He opens another, right? Well, we get those sayings. Actually, many of these sayings are rooted in doctrine in the Bible. And he is actually closing a door with John the Baptist. I think it's in Matthew 13, but it's just a few chapters before, if I'm mistaken. And he's opening the door. He's saying, no more am I going to reveal my word to a few men to reveal to the rest of the world. I'm revealing myself to the church and the church can reveal me to the rest of the world. He's given Peter the keys to the kingdom to open the doors of the church. And Peter opened to the doors of the church 
as he pre- he was the first preacher to the Jews, he was the first preacher to the Gentiles, especially on the day of Pentecost when 3,000 people were saved. He opened the doors for the church to be birthed. God gave him that privilege to preach the first gospel message. And every Christian that walks into the church, the spiritual church as they're born again, has the same responsibility as Peter and the same privilege as John the Baptist as, as introducing Jesus Christ to people. And that's what's going on with the keys. The keys is Peter is receiving them to open the door of the church for the world to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, to come into the church and be a part of the body of Christ. And then whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is more confusing for us now than it would have been for them. The keys of the kingdom would have been a little confusing because they have no idea necessarily what's going on. But these men would have understood what Jesus Christ is getting at. Because they understood binding and loosing. They understood what is permissible and not permissible and the authority that the Levitical priesthood had in the Old Testament in temple worship. It was given to the Levites, the Levitical priest. And that is, I am giving you my decreed, God's ordained prescription for worship. I'm giving it to the, to, to, to the nation of Israel. And God gave it to them. In Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, especially Exodus and Leviticus. He gives them the establishment. He establishes the temple, or the, in that case, it would have been the tabernacle. Later, it would become the temple when Solomon built it. And he says, this is how I am commanding, I'm prescribing you to worship me. And I am going to give the responsibility to the Levites to bind and loose that prescription of worship for the nation of Israel. Binding and loosing is permitting and not permitting. Allowing and not allowing. So here are the boundaries. This is what you're going to do. You're going to have a holy of holies. You're going to have a holy place. You're going to have an outer court. You're going to have a brazen altar. You're going to have a menorah. You're going to have sacrifices. You're going to have the high priest once a year for the day of atonement to come into the holy of holies. And he's going to carry the names of the nation of Israel on his chest and the names of the nation of Israel on his shoulder to represent the nation as the high priest to atone for their sins. He's going to pray for himself first. He's going to pray for his family second. He's going to pray for the nation third. Same thing that Jesus Christ did in John 17 as he prayed for himself first. He prayed for his friends and second. He prayed for the, those who would be the church uh, third. He's the high priest. He's the greatly, in John 17 is the high priestly prayer. He is now the high priest coming into the holy of holies with his father and so the levitical priesthood were given the responsibilities of binding and loosing prescribed orders of worship so when nadab and abayu mixed the incense incorrectly god killed them they should have been more responsibility for the task of worship because god told them how the incense should be mixed 
the binding and loosing, authority, you can, if you, it, I didn't read it in the Greek, I just studied the Greek of people who know Greek. So the idea is, is kind of lost in translation here. It's what has been bound in heaven is bound on earth. That is the more accurate way to read this, though it almost seems the opposite if you read it in our New English translation. It, the idea is authority starts in heaven and it comes to earth. Authority always begins with God. It doesn't begin with man. And so the problem of what's going on here with the interpretation, especially of the heretics, making it a reference to having power to bind and loose the blessings of God in our own personal lives is they are getting the fundamental problem wrong that power and authority begins with the pastors, begins with the Christian. Power and authority begins with God and when we worship him correctly, then we get the blessings that God is referring to all throughout the New Testament. The binding and loosing being referred to here is the 12 apostles that would establish the church. God is giving these 12 apostles, not us and not anybody since them, the authority from heaven to establish the church, both worldwide and local churches. This is how local churches need to operate under the command of God and it was given to the 12 apostles as they wrote the New Testament. That's the binding and loosing being referred to here in Matthew 16. And there are numerous details concerning what local churches should be doing. Numerous details. And you guys know, if you want to learn some of it, just go out and read our board. Does anybody read our boards that we put up? You guys know there's a connect station right there. Okay, there's also an ecclesiastical chart in the lobby if you want to take a look at it. So I'll be asking all of you when I see you next, what are the six pillars of the church? Our staff already knows it, right staff? Okay, well Proverbs 9, Maybe he's referring to it, maybe he's not. However, um, the idea of building a house is constantly referred to in scripture. Maybe one of the more general terms can be connected with Matthew 7. If you build your house on the sand, it will be destroyed. If you build your house on the rock, it will endure wind, rain, and storms. If you are building your house according to wisdom, your house, and obviously it's not talking about an actual house with stones and bricks or wood and, and hay and mud. It's talking about your, your life and your family. If you build it on wisdom, you will endure the trials of family and life and, and your own personal issues and your husband and your wife and your children. If you apply wisdom, you will build your house. It will endure. Wisdom has built your house. Guys, in case you forgot, wisdom is being referred um, here as, as a woman. It is all throughout the book of Proverbs. And um, 
it's being referred to a woman not because wisdom is a woman. Wisdom is, is the proper application of truth. Um, wisdom is seeing things God's way, which is seeing it as reality is. It's seeing it accurately. But the reason why it's referred to as a woman is because women kind is indicative of beauty. And when wisdom is applied in an individual's life, which is receiving the truth of God, seeing things God's way, walking in truth, um, then your life is beautiful. When a family applies wisdom and builds her house on wisdom, then the family is beautiful. We're not talking about physical beauty here. We're talking about the manifestation of beauty as it is abiding in the fruits of the spirit of love, joy, and peace, and righteousness, and faithfulness. It looks ugly when families are not building their house on wisdom. It's terrible. And all this with the foundation of what I started off with, we all are mentally handicapped. Let me say it in a nicer way. We don't know how to live our lives without the revealed word of God. Otherwise, we're just groping in the dark with our own minds. It's not good. You, just, you, you can't figure things out on your own. Yeah, I, I, I'm aware that a, probably a small percentage of our church think I, thinks I'm crazy. A very small percentage, right guys? You know, circumcise your kids when they're babies. That's wisdom. Don't have two separate banks, bank accounts as, as a husband and wife where one is hidden from the other. That's wisdom. There's other things I could talk about marriage that's wisdom. Don't have friends that are constantly tearing your life apart. That's wisdom. There's all kinds of things that don't seem to be apparent to people. They just follow cultural traditions. But somebody who applies wisdom is going to see outside of their own culture. And all of us need to do that, whether you're in Kenya or in America. She's built her house, she slaughtered her meat. If you've ever slaughtered, has anybody ever slaughtered a goat? Some of us? Me and Paul? Peter, you slaughtered a goat, surely. There you go. Guys, slaughtering an animal is not easy. You gotta learn how to get the intestine. Did I say intestines? <laughs> Forgive me. Intestines. Um, you you got to learn how to get those out without bursting them because it'll ruin the meat. There, there's a detailed way of slaughtering goats or sheep or cows. You got to be very specific. You got to be very detailed in how you order your life. She's furnished her table. She's sent out her maiden. She's cries out to the high places of the city. Whoever is simple, let him turn to her. Whoever lacks understanding, she says to him, come eat of my bread, drink of my wine. I have mixed, forsake foolishness, and live and go in the way of understanding. So I've given six points that wisdom is doing in those verses. Six points. 
Um, just so you know, we're going to be going to like 7.30 every night on Thursdays. Don't let that stop you. It's just we need to cover a lot of scripture. But I won't take too much longer. Number one, wisdom is available to everyone. Wisdom is available to everyone. Remember that. You guys know how Ampesa is everywhere? It's shocking, you know? Ampesa is everywhere in this country. You can go out to the middle of a village in Yanza and there's an Ampesa shop. Wisdom is like that, but even more. It's everywhere. But are you going to withdraw the money or load the money without going to the Ampesa shop? No, you gotta go there. So if, if I need wisdom, I can't just sit here. If I want to know, for example, if Kelsey's in the back of the room, let's do in a little experiment, Kelsey. Just say a sentence in your normal, normal voice. Don't raise it so you can try to get me to hear it. Just say, say something. Do this. Tell me what we're eating for dinner tonight. Say something. Tell me what we're eating for dinner. You need to speak it. I can't hear her. She's saying it. Can you guys hear her? Well, there's wisdom because I'm hungry and I want to eat. I wish I could end the sermon right now so I can go eat. So if she keeps that volume, because wisdom is a still small voice, God's whispering to us. Why does God whisper? Why does the Bible refer to God's voice as still and small? Because nothing great is for, with, nothing great, nothing worth having is, uh, is free. Even salvation came at a very high price, the cost of the Son of God dying. So if I want to hear what Kelsey's saying, I got to walk over there, right? If I just walk a little ways and she says it again, say it again. Don't laugh. Come on. Participate. I can't hear her. She said it again. I got to get closer. And I know I'm being dramatic, but this is important. Say it again. I can't hear her. Can you guys hear her? I'm not going to do it because it's just too dramatic. I'd have to walk where? All the way over there and lean in and hear what she's trying to say so I can understand the wisdom of what we're eating tonight. I remember years ago, I was actually at Calvary Philly. I was preaching at a men's conference. One of the other speakers was, I call him Dr. J. His name is Joe. He's one of the leading heart surgeons in the United States of America. He talked about the, it was 12 years of schooling. I think it was 12 years of schooling and five more years of heart surgeries where he was not the head of the heart. He wasn't performing it as the head. So he did 12 years of school to become a heart surgeon. And then he sat there and he was the heart surgeon's assistant for another five years. He said it took him five years to make a three-foot walk around the table to become the lead heart surgeon. And he says, as the assistant heart surgeon, giving whatever the heart surgeon needs, the heart surgeon would whisper, whisper, Give me a scalpel. Give me a scalpel. Give me 
the forceps. Did you guys even hear what I said? I said, give me a scalpel, give me the forceps. He would whisper these commands and Dr. J, Dr. Joe said that he would have to have his ear almost right next to the lips of the heart surgeon so that he could hear him because he had to whisper. The reason he had to whisper is that he has his fingers down in the body of a man doing heart surgery. And if he speaks up loud, the, the, the tendency when you have a decibel volume is for your body to move slightly, even your fingers. And the only ways that you can prevent your fingers from not moving slightly is by whispering. So the assistant had to have his ear basically in the lips of the heart surgeon so he could get him what he needed to save this person's life. Life is much more complicated than heart surgery. And if we are not close to the mouth of Jesus Christ who offers us wisdom, we will not be able to perform life the way we need to. That's why it's a still small voice, you see. You gotta go get wisdom. It's not gonna come to you. None of us are, the greatest genius amongst us is not gonna figure out wisdom. You just can't do it, it's impossible. It transcends our minds. You gotta go get it. So wisdom is available to everyone. Number two, wisdom is good. Come eat and drink. With that being good, number three, wisdom is filling. So it tastes good and it also fills you up. You guys have been empty, haven't you? You've been empty. What causes emptiness? Bad relationships, sexual uh, promiscuity, bad parents, emptiness. Emptiness, emptiness, pain, hurt, anguish, sadness. It's just emptiness, it's dark. But wisdom fills you up. Come and eat of wisdom, come and drink. She's mixed her wine, she's cooked her feast, she slaughtered her meats, and it is good. Another way of the Bible saying this in a synonymous way is come and taste that the Lord is good. He's good. You guys, some of us know what it's like to club and party at places like TMT or, you know, uh, when Club Timber was hopping, you know, you're, you're there. What, what happens in the morning? You're having a pleasurable night. You wake up empty. But when you commune with God and receive his wisdom, you're full. So wisdom is filling. And number four, it, it, it talks about... Um, the bread and the wine. And, and so there's a few things to, to, to add to that. Wisdom brings provision, number four. Number five, wisdom brings partnership. And wisdom, number six, brings protection. So let me go through it again if you're note-taking. Number one, wisdom is available to everyone. Number two, wisdom is good. Number three, wisdom is filling. Number four, wisdom is provisional. Number five, wisdom invites us to be partners. Number Six, wisdom uh, protects us. So we learn all those six things from these verses. Um, 
it's provisional. It provides us what we need. So when it talks about us eating and drinking and the meat has been slaughtered, it's talking about the provision that wisdom gives us. And um, it's not talking about food. It's talking about when you go to work and that boss who's a pagan is still trying to get you to compromise, to write something different on the report, to lie about the finances so that even greater bosses can uh, not understand that he's stealing from the company. How do you walk through that with wisdom? You gotta have it, you gotta pray about it, you gotta, you know, thou shalt not steal. It's when you're in university and your professor says, I'll give you the grades you want if you compromise and you know, do you women have sex with me? You know, you're sitting there and you're like, oh my gosh, how's, how's wisdom going to get me out of this? Wisdom will, f- it, it, it's provisional, it provides you as you pray, God will make a way of escape every time unto righteousness. But if you're not close to God listening to his voice, you won't get it. So it's provisional. It's a partnership. It, it goes along with it's available to everyone. The idea of what I mean by partnership is you got to go get it. Wisdom saying, I'm going to join with you. I'm, I'm going I'm to be gracious enough. God saying, I'll give you my wisdom. I'll be gracious enough to partner with you, but you have to take the effort to go get it. It's not just going to come to you. You got to meditate on the word day and night. It involves reading it, praying over it. Wisdom is, gives us protection as well protects us so verse 7 he corrects a scoffer gets shame for himself he who rebukes a wicked man only harms himself do not correct a scoffer lest he hate you rebuke a wise man he will love you give instruction to a wise man he will be wiser still teach a just man and he will increase in learning so the contrast between a scoffer and a wise man. It's not saying don't ever do it. The idea of the language that's given to us here is don't continually do it. You do not have to continually receive abuse by rebuking a fool. You can be done after they prove themselves to have abused you with their foolishness. If you've not experienced this, by the way, you're not doing your job and sharing truth with people. Have you guys been on the receiving end of people absolutely hating you because you spoke truth? Of course you have. Of course you guys have. It's terrible. Even especially if it's somebody you love. It's awful. I have, it, I have that going on actually right now with somebody that I love dearly. They hate me. There's no correction coming from me to this person. There's only hi, bye, and I love you kind of thing going on. There's no reason for me to, to continue to tell them what's going on, how the, the terrible lives. So here's the litmus test by discerning whether somebody's foolish or wise. The wise people receives it and loves you for it. So the, the litmus test is this. 
love and hate. When you speak truth, who hates you? When you speak truth, who loves you? It's the wise people who love you. It's the foolish people who hate you. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me your days will be multiplied and years of life will be added to you. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself and if you scoff, you will bear it alone. So the idea here is when you apply wisdom, it's a blessing unto your life and the blessings of wisdom start with the person who applies it. The blessing of wisdom begins with you when you're applying wisdom. So it's inside out. It's, it blesses you. So people who are bitter, the person they're hurting the most is themselves. The people who are drunkards, the, yes, bitterness hurts other people. Drunkenness hurts other people. But the idea is it hurts first the person that is committing the sin. And the opposite of true is the blessings of wisdom begin with the person applying wisdom. But here's what the scripture is saying. Wisdom has a beginning. Okay? Wisdom, this is very important, that's why I'm dramatically repeating it. Wisdom has a beginning. It begins with the fear of the Lord. Now, I've, I've taught this many times because that's also ambiguous. Well, what is the fear of the Lord? I got to be afraid of him? No. The fear of the Lord, and the Jews knew this in the Hebrew, is to acknowledge the existence and omnipresence of God. That's what the fear of the Lord is. The beginning of wisdom is God is right here with us. We reverence and we honor his presence and it begins with acknowledging his presence. That's what the fear of the Lord is. You're a lot wiser. It's actually the beginning of wisdom, so it's the foundation of it. You're a lot wiser when you live as if God is next to you. I would venture to say not one man in this room invited his mother to watch pornography with him. Right? Guys? Okay. I'll just take, I'll take your blank stare for that as a yes. Hey mom, come. We're going to watch some pornography. Bring the popcorn. No. Why? Because your mom's present. That would be disgusting. Be awful. Fear of the Lord, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. When you're watching it, he's omnipresent, he's in the room. He's there with you. Your life seems to change when you acknowledge the presence of the Lord. A foolish woman is clamorous, she's simple, she knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on a seat by the highest places of the city to call those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in her and 
And as for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant, but he does not know the dead are there and the guests are in the depths of hell. So we'll, we'll probably just come back for a few minutes next time we're here and discuss this a little bit more thoroughly. But it's uh, that word again in verse 16 that was used in verse 4, whoever's simple. Um, so the simple-minded are proud. Oh, no, excuse me. The person who does, is simple-minded, who does not seek wisdom, is proud. Because we're all simple-minded. Um, but those who are simple, who did not seek wisdom, they go about their life. They're like, oh, this is no problem. No, no, no. Nope, um, I, I, can, I can hang out with my girlfriend on the couch alone at 12 o'clock at night. It's, it's no problem. So, so simple-mindedness, simple-minded people who don't apply wisdom and go seek after it, they find themselves at the wrong place, at the wrong time, willfully. Uh, don't allow desire and opportunity to come together. You'll be in a, a little trouble. We'll cover a little bit more about that next time. Um, this Sunday, our normal services next Sunday, don't forget, invite somebody to join the celebration it will be a gospel message and we pray that more people will be born again and come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, I encourage you guys, go share your testimony with people. It doesn't have to be on stage. I, was, uh, I walked to Lexo Gas and uh, you know, I keep inviting this guy and he really can't make it because he works all the time there. But he's been watching us online. And I understand he's got a job. I mean, he's got a fellowship somewhere, but he watched us online last Saturday. I was just talking to him before, today, before the service today. And he, uh, he said, I watched online, man. That woman's testimony really blessed me. That's what he said. And so he didn't mention the music, worship team. You were not on the forefront of his mind. He didn't mention the preaching. I was not on the forefront of his mind. Not that those things weren't good and powerful, but our testimonies, people love to hear testimonies. I know I do. And when you talk about Kenya and the world of pain that everybody is going through here, so many of us have had suicidal thoughts. So many of us have contemplated killing ourselves. And for somebody very nervously, it doesn't matter. He didn't care about her nerves. He didn't care about her trembling voice. He heard, I wanted to kill myself, but God saved my life because he loves me. That's what touched him. So I encourage you, go share your testimony, invite people to church, and let's see more people get saved. Um, I asked Preston to print me a list because we have the Connect station. Um, if you guys notice, there's massive letters that say Connect on the back of the room. That's our Connect station. Uh, people sign up for things. <laughs> well, one of them is... Um, Members and new believers, many of you have signed up for those things. I looked 
on the, the, the members that we've got the last six months, do you know that out of like 62 of them, I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, two of them were married. So the reason I'm mentioning that is get married. <laughs> and in case I forget, um, because the 12th year anniversary falls on the Sunday when we normally do baby dedications. We're doing baby dedications this Sunday for those who want to dedicate their babies. I know, guys, can you imagine? If you don't know Bob, he's our, he's our elder here. He's uh, the fine gentleman over here. He has a newborn child. So Moses, congratulations. Uh, it's never too late, guys. It's never too late. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all that your word uh, encourages us to pursue. One of the chief things is wisdom. And may we pursue it. May we know it's available, Lord, and it's good and it's filling and it's provisional and you've invited us to join you and we know, Lord, that it will protect us when we apply it from pain. It will protect us from unnecessary pain. I pray your blessing upon those who come on Thursday. I pray your Holy Spirit would pour out upon the rest of our congregation so large on Sundays for those who can to, to start coming to get more Bible here on Thursdays. And I pray that you would continue to pour out your spirit and forgive us of our sins, cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a good week.